welcome again to The Empowering Neurologist. I am Dr. David Perlmutter. You know, there's probably no more fundamental question than we ask ourselves every day, and that is, uh, what should we eat? What is the best food and why is it so good? And, you know, we've interviewed so many people on the program talking about uh, their ideas in terms of what makes for a really salubrious type of approach to nutrition. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Kate Shanahan. She is a family physician. Uh, she's known nationally uh, in the areas of nutrition and longevity. She trained in biochemistry and genetics first at Cornell and then uh, went to Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Uh, she soon recognized the limitations of the pharmaceutical intervention model, as I think many of us have, and ultimately moved to Hawaii uh, with her husband, where they began exploring uh, various uh, types of dietary programs really based on foods and practices that were common uh, traditionally uh, throughout history and even into today. And this became the basis of her book that we're going to be discussing today, which is called Deep Nutrition, uh, Why Your Genes Need Traditional Food. Uh, and it's you know certainly well beyond the notion of traditional food. Uh, she touches on epigenetics, how our food choices change our gene expression, uh, she goes into uh, a great deal of uh, research and discussion in terms of the types of fats that we consume, uh, dedicates a chapter to the role of making the right choices in terms of dietary fat uh, with reference to brain vitality, brain functionality, and resistance to disease. So I think it's a, a very uh, interesting uh, discussion that, that we're going to have. Uh, you know, the, the real issue with her book, that with her goal, is to help create a dietary program that reduces the uh, uh, action of what are called free radicals and really to optimize aging. Uh, her approach is uh, designed to have a real big impact on uh, diabetes and other metabolic issues as well as generalized inflammation and the role that inflammation plays in uh, chronic disease. So let's just jump right into our interview now. So, Dr. Shanahan, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thanks for allowing me to come on your show, Dr. Perlmutter. It's really exciting to be on with you. And thanks for laboring through our technical issues now that we've upgraded the recording uh, device. So, again, uh, for our viewers, we are talking today about this really incredible book uh, called Deep Nutrition. And I want to just jump right in because so many nutrition books and diet books and uh, that are so popular these days really are making a big deal about the macronutrients, about how much protein, fat, carbohydrate, and micronutrients as well, secondarily. But really, you look at what we eat from a very, very different, and I think a far more empowering uh, and a historical perspective as well. So why don't we walk through that at first, and we'll take it from there. So what I like to do is uh, describe biochemistry as like the math of the body. If, if you want to be able to balance, you know, your books, your, a checkbook, your bank account, whatever, you have to understand math. If you want to be able to understand how the modern diet might be affecting your body, you want to, you need to understand biochemistry. And um, I do, actually. You don't. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you Viewers <do>. may not. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but that is really where you're going to get a lot of the explanations for these diseases, right? So 
Um, if we back up just a little bit, I guess what we're kind of maybe both uh, the unspoken assumption here that we share is that when when we do things right, when we do things the way nature would have it in terms of feeding ourselves, people wouldn't have chronic diseases the, the way that we do now, right? I mean, we wouldn't you know be able to fly or live to be five thousand years old or anything. We would still eventually you know probably die and have some chronic diseases, but later in life, you know, really when we're really old. So. Um, so what I have done um, with deep nutrition is try to lay out what aspects exactly of the modern diet are the two that are uh, hammering our physiologies to these bits and pieces at this premature early age. And so I used biochemistry to understand exactly what the two worst enemies of your health are. Um, and um, so that's what I spend a lot of the book talking about. And I have one chapter that I was hoping caught your attention called brain killer about the oils. One? Yes. Um, and, um, that one I talk about, you know, how vegetable oil is your brain's worst enemy. And so where right now we have a lot of people with a lot of very useful, helpful, um, pieces of the puzzle as to where do we get these horrible diseases like Alzheimer's and autism and Parkinson's. Um, I feel that the biggest missing piece has been the discussion around the vegetable oils that constitute anywhere between 25 and 45 percent of the average American's diet. That's a huge chunk of our diet that no one's really looking at closely enough. And I feel like we have a lot uh, to learn by doing so. Well, one of the uh, interesting things that you start off with is a really, I think, empowering discussion of the notion of epigenetics that the food we are consuming is actually changing our genetic expression. And that's, I think, a, a very heady kind of conversation. But uh, take us through uh, that in terms of, you know, really kind of getting away from the focus on the macronutrients and why, uh, how empowering this whole notion of controlling our gene expression with food really is. Yeah, so the, the, um, the basic, if your basic assumption is that nature knows best, um, it's not a surprise that the diet that we would naturally eat or that we used to eat when we were totally in touch with living directly um, from nature um, would be the best diet, not just for our health and our longevity, but also for our gene function. And the science of epigenetics really kind of explains that connection between um, what we eat, our, our dietary choices, and not just our health, but our genetic health. And that means the next generation's health. And so um, in a sense, you can say that your genes have expectations around nutrition that they will receive through your diet. And when we meet those expectations, our genetic expectations, our genes, our genes function properly. And that's what epigenetics really helps explain some of the mechanics and the details of exactly how that happens. This is how, you know, your genes are regulated and there's cofactors, they call them cofactors, um, in your food that actually can directly bind to and interact with your DNA and make sure that certain proteins get expressed at the right time so that development occurs normally so that, um, your, 
right blend of enzymes are active so that you can burn fat, so that your brain develops normally, so that you know you undergo apoptosis at the right point in time, or your cells do, I mean. Um, and um, so all of those are genetic expectations are, are encoded in our DNA, and they're also encoded in the culinary traditions. And when we get the um, correct blend of nutrients by following some of these uh, culinary traditions, our genes express optimally. And when we don't get the, the nutrients that our genes expect one too many times, that's when we get sick. And we might get sick just ourselves. We might get, you know, we might develop a cancer. We might develop um, diabetes. And then we also, though, pass on genes that may not work as well either for the next generation. So this is why we're actually seeing now that there's children being born with a predisposition to obesity and diabetes that their parents didn't have, that they will, among other things, never grow as tall. They will never have quite as much um, muscular muscles, right? Because they're predisposed to building um, fat tissue and they, you know, undergo puberty early. This is all fallout from the modern diet. You know, it's really, an, it's been a, a horrible um, experiment that started about 50, 60 years ago when we started deviating from our faith and our trust in the the culinary traditions that got us here. And, you know, we, we basically kicked uh, Granny out of the kitchen along with Julia Child, you know, the butter-loving Julia Child, and uh, brought in uh, Blue Bonnet and um, Monsanto and Dow. Um, and that's the experiment that we've been, you know, running on ourselves for the past three, four generations. And so the fallout from this now is not just not just you know affecting the older generation who've been living with it for all that time, but also affecting the, their children and grandchildren now who are having problems. And I, my patients tell me this very frequently. They say, you know what, I my healthier sixty-year-olds are are astounded the same way that I am that you know their own grandchildren are having problems that they like never even heard of you know like all these children now with peanut allergies and other immune system problems and of course autism so it's all a setup we've all been set up to be healthy if we would just obey nature respect culinary traditions but we discarded a lot of that you know we had authorities telling us to discard this and i talk about who the biggest bad guy was in a chapter um, called good fats and bad because it really did start with a fear of fats in the 1950s and having done that now we're we're seeing you know healthcare costs skyrocket and it's it's uh just a swirling morass of of problems that we're having that all could have been avoided, you know, if we didn't do that. But of course, if you want to get yourself, empower yourself to get back on the right path, it starts with taking control of what you're eating and getting uh, getting a handle, uh, getting uh, getting a handle on what does a healthy diet even look like, and gaining confidence that um, it's worthwhile to spend some time back in the kitchen. Well, you have actually two chapters, I think, that are very close allied. The first one you just mentioned, um, good fats, bad fats, and the next dealt with uh, the damaging effects of vegetable oils in terms of the brain. 
So why don't you take us first of all through the, the uh, good fat, uh, bad fat uh, paradigm and, uh, and then we can talk about why we really need to in general avoid certain vegetable oils. Certainly you know, avocado oil, olive oil are on the eat list, but they're, you know, by and large the vegetable oils that people are consuming thinking that they're good because that's what media tells us. Uh, you're telling us uh, just exactly. the opposite. Right. So the Cliff Notes version of the good fats and bad fats chapter is that back in 1950s, um, there was an epidemic of heart attacks, um, actually starting most famously with Eisenhower's heart attack and kind of a mandate to get to the bottom of heart attacks. And the, the guy that um, assigned himself as the go-to guy for getting to the bottom of this is a man named Ansel Keys who came out and said, you know what, it's saturated fat. Um, saturated fat is causing heart attacks. And that's it. Um, so everybody stop eating butter and eggs and, uh, you know, go ahead and get margarine. Um, and at the time, actually, the reality was that most cigarette smoking was being caught. I'm sorry, that was the answer. Most heart attacks were being caused by cigarette smoking, right? So if you look at the graph of heart attacks per capita, it actually peaked in the 50s, uh, late 50s, early 60s, per capita deaths from heart attacks, right? We still have a lot of heart attacks, but people aren't dying so quickly. So the peak occurred in the late 50s and 60s. The smoking rate per capita also peaked in the late 50s and 60s. And what this has to do with fat is that there's something very important that has been overlooked in this whole conversation around what causes heart attacks. And that is a technical term called oxidative stress. Oxidative stress has to do with oxygen reacting in an uncontrolled way with other chemicals. So smoking is bad for us because it causes oxidative stress as burning basically, right? It, you feel it burning. It, it, it causes oxidative stress in your lungs. We also call uh, the, 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 the reactions, the result of those reactions lead to inflammation. So um, in your lungs and then in your, your blood circulating through there, so the lipoproteins that go through your lungs, they also get impacted. And so cigarette smoking is associated with heart attacks because it causes oxidative stress in the lipoproteins. They get oxidized. Fat gets oxidized. It doesn't, um, it can't get out of your arteries. And so it ends up causing arteriosclerosis. That's how cigarette smoking causes arteriosclerosis. Vegetable oils that are, um, you know, the, the soy, the, the sunflower, the um, safflower, corn, canola, cottonseed, those are the most common. They are also very susceptible to oxidative stress. They react with oxygen very easily because their molecular structure is not resistant to reaction, reacting with oxygen. And um, in fact, we need them in our bodies because of the way that they are rapidly capable of reacting with oxygen, but our bodies need to do it in a controlled manner and we use them for um, important reactions like uh, responding to a cut in our body or for even like childbirth. It's mediated by these essential fatty acids, omega-3 and omega-6. But the problem is that when we eat way so many of them like we are now, or when they get um, refined the way they do in the factory or when we cook with them, they still react with oxygen, but now it's not being controlled. And the, uh, the result is breakdown products of the, uh, the primary molecule, the polyunsaturated fatty acids that have long names like 4-hydroxynanol and cyclic, uh, heterocyclic compounds and um, uh, all kinds of just bad long names. And, um, and those compounds are individually 
each one of them has been studied, you know, many, many of them, not every last one, have been studied and found to be cytotoxic and genotoxic. And, um, you know, but the bottom line is also the connection, get, tying it back to smoking, is that they also, when you eat them, they get in your body and they get in your lipopro uh, lipoproteins. And just like cigarette smoking, they oxidize the, li the, the lipoproteins as well. And that's how you get heart attacks and strokes and, you know, um, intermittent claudication in your legs. And, um, arteriosclerosis that affects your kidneys and your kidney function and and so on and so on but i i have come out and like just you know declared war on vegetable oil by saying that it's actually worse for you than cigarette smoking because unlike cigarettes first of all you know babies get fed vegetable oil in infant formula nobody's actually making sure they're they're one month old is smoking um they might get secondhand smoke, but it's their bodies are not being composed of cigarette smoke. And the, you know, it's the lungs and the circulation and the bladder and a couple other organs that get hit the hardest with the damage from the cigarette smoke. But vegetable oil can go anywhere in your body. And so it can cause many more diseases. So it is vegetable oil is oxidative stress in a bottle and oxidative stress from vegetable oils oxidative stress is the great disease maker. So this is just a huge, huge thing that you can do for your health just to pay attention to how much vegetable oil are you getting? Where is it coming from? And figure out how to live without it. Well, let me, let me shift gears a little bit. And, and that is I'd like to uh, get to collagen because you have a whole chapter dedicated to, to collagen. And I'd like to, if we could, review what our ancestors used as a source for collagen and then talk about the deficiencies of dietary collagen and then why it turns out to be so important. So, um, yeah, so collagen, what is collagen? Collagen is the backbone molecule of your connective tissue. So connective tissue includes your skin, includes your ligaments, includes your uh bones even. It includes your the, the structure of your arteries is made out of connective tissue. Um, everything in your body, all of your cells are held together by connective tissue. If you, we didn't have any, we would just disintegrate into small little piles of sludge. So um, it's very important. And um, we have uh, molecules called fibroblasts that make a lot of our connective tissue. And um, they manufacture collagen. It's one of the most uh, common uh, types, one of the most common molecules that, that's in all the different connective tissues we have in our body. And fibroblasts actually are, um, can be, you know, turned on or off. So hormones like um, estrogen and testosterone um, and growth factor, they actually turn on the fibroblasts and make them do their thing that helps to keep your skin healthy and so on. Um, but we can actually, if we eat, um, one of the four major food groups that I've defined in our book, Deep Nutrition, um, which it, we, I call it meat on the bone. Um, if we eat meat on the bone, which you can do just by boiling chicken bones um, after you know uh, a holiday, save the, save the turkey and uh, boil all that, make turkey broth soup, and uh, whether it's turkey or chicken or pork or beef or whatever, all the same benefits. Um, though you're extracting some very special compounds when you do that and, uh, they've got long names <laughs> like everything I'm talking about today. Um, like 
proteoglycans and glycosaminoglycans. The supplement glucosamine is named after glycosaminoglycans, but you're extracting all these different compounds and each one of them has the ability to kind of activate those fibroblasts. Um, and when you get all the whole nice blend in the soup, literally it is a soup of growth factors essentially that will help your fibroblasts do their thing, whether they are in your joint tissue or in your gut or in your skin or your bones or wherever they are. So they are basically a missing food group from the American diet. They're extremely common, like they're ubiquitous almost in, in actual traditional cooking. When you go overseas, if you go to Asia, you'll see all kinds of soups and you go to France, of course, they're famous for their, their sauces that are uh, made with stock and their, uh, you know, French onion soup and, um, uh, everywhere, everywhere in the world, um, it's much more common. It is actually one of the you know four pillars of um, world cuisine, meaning that even in America we did it until recently. Um, but it's uh, it's uh, not you know it's not a macronutrient that we talk about, right? It's not protein or carb or, or fat, but it does it is essential, and um, it has these amazing benefits. And and folks have told me that. Their friends have come up to them and asked them, uh, you know, after they read Deep Nutrition and started making their own bone stocks or buying it, um, they, their friends would come up and say, hey, did you do Botox? And they're like, no, I did bone broth. <laughs> so it's it's really has like, you know, visible, wonderful beauty effects. Well, you've mentioned the, uh, the four pillars of the human diet a couple of times in our conversation. And, uh, you know, I think those are the the four pillars that really support the whole book, and you actually have a chapter dedicated to that. Can we walk through that? Yeah, so what my husband and I did was, uh, we were actually living in Hawaii when I noticed that, uh, you know, I was a family practice doctor, and I noticed that I had really healthy patients in their 60s and 70s, and when I started learning more about nutrition myself, I started asking them, what, you know, what they ate, and they are, what their answers, I didn't even understand them. They were like, uh, Dinu Guan Badoy, uh, you know, I was like, what? Um, it, it, you know, they, it was always um, what, uh, you know, some, some chefs might call bizarre foods. So they were eating nose to tail, basically. And, and they were using, um, you know, everything so, like, smartly, you know, that nothing went to waste. And so I realized that there was just a lot more to food than I had learned, you know, in, uh, as a child growing up as an American child and then in medical school, even where we learn about the macros and we think, you know, that plus vitamins and some water and boom, you're done. Now you can just take all your powders and live on the moon. Um, but there's a lot, you know, a lot more to it. And so my husband and I realized that, you know, we were also at the time watching cooking shows and, um, all around the world, we kept seeing the same kinds of things that people would be making soups and they would have bone in there and, they would be doing this weird thing called fermenting and um, have like yeah. little vats of bubbling stuff. And yeah, so we were like, huh, I wonder if there's anything that like they all do in common because this was at the time where a couple of popular diet books were coming out, um, like the, the Okinawan diet and uh, the French diet, the French paradox. And then there was a book called The Blue Zones where they were looking at what do all the healthiest or the longest live people, what do they do in common? And so, you know, there was like, what, is, it, is there something that there's all in common here that might be important for us to know about? And so we kind of started really doing it more on purpose than rather just recreational 
We got cookbooks from all around the world. We got um, really old cookbooks from all the English-speaking countries I could from the 1800s. And then we watched more TV. And um, we came up with these four pillars because they were everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So it's fresh food, which is just food that's like as nature made it. didn't even cook it. So fruits and vegetables, yeah. But even things like, you know, steak tartare and sushi, you know, raw animal products, raw dairy, unpasteurized dairy. That's the first one. And when you have too much of that fresh food, well, you got to store it for later. So this is where fermentation comes in and right. sprouting, right? Because seeds naturally store themselves. Um, so you can sprout your seeds by just germinating them using just a little bit of water and that softens them. And so then if you want to cook with them, um, you don't have to cook them for, you know, a day basically like, you know, we do and we buy, when we buy kidney beans, right, they're already either in a can or you got to just cook them in a pressure cooker forever. But if you sprout them, you're actually using nature to make them more nutritious because the process of germination wakes up the dormant enzymes and releases the, um, phytates and other things that will bind the nutrients, things we call anti-nutrients. So that's the sprouting part of that pillar. And the fermentation is, um, you know, you, you're like the one of the experts on this. This is, uh, you know, how you turn, how you get probiotics from food. Um, and so you, you just sort of also let nature takes it, take its course. You put milk, for example, in the right temperature and the right kind of a container and you'll get either cheese yogurt or you know a million other things that people make out of fermenting milk and traditional food yeah traditional food so that's the second pillar the third is meat on the bone which we talked about but it, it includes the concept of making sure that you keep your meat moist when you cook it and don't overcook it because heat destroys nutrition so if you get boneless, skinless chicken breasts, it's, you probably notice it's harder to cook them without them drying out um, than it is if you, you know, well, a whole chicken. Can you chicken. imagine the, the poor boneless chicken trying to walk around? <laughs> How do you do that? Yeah, I'd like to adopt some and just uh, take care of them. <laughs> um, and so, and then the last one is nobody's favorite. Uh, it's uh, organ meat. So this is like all the other stuff that we basically just throw out, make glue out of or, or give to the dogs. Um, because liver, you know, when it comes from an animal that's been pasteurized and not, not infused with tons of chemicals, um, it, it has, it's better when it's organic, obviously, but it, it bioconcentrates a different blend of nutrients than muscle tissue does. And, um, each organ in an animal's body has a, kind of a different um, blend of vitamins and um, other minerals and nutrients, all of which we we need. And um, when we just have the muscle tissue, we're getting a great amount of protein, and sometimes we get some iron as well, and and other things like ubiquinone and and creatinine or creatine. But um, when we have um, you know, liver, we also get a lot of B vitamins. When we have bone marrow, we get some uh, branch chain fatty acids. Um, and there's just, you know, uh, this rainbow of nutrients that is available to us. And we're only taking like a little sliver of color in the middle when we stick with just the muscle meat. Well, I'd like to thank you for spending time with us today. I, you know, there's a, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of books out and, uh, you really offer up, I think a, a really different and, and an in-depth perspective, hence the, the title deep nutrition. Uh, it's really a Thank terrific you. read, and I'm hoping that our viewers are going to pay attention to your information because, in a, in, in a way, it does kind of simplify our lives in terms of letting us become reconnected. 
And, you know, that, that might sound um, a little bit uh, counter to the notion of, you know, popping in a TV dinner in the microwave and being done with it. But in reality, you make it very, very understandable and very simple. And I think that's really important because it makes it uh, very user-friendly. So um, it's very impressive. And uh, again, Thank thanks you. for spending time with us today. Are you still in Hawaii? No, actually, I'm in Connecticut now. How did that happen? Yeah. So, um, well, I wanted to come back uh, to the mainland because, you know, Hawaii is beautiful and I loved it there, but I kind of missed my family because yeah, they're on the coast I, Island here. fever, I hear that. Two days. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, listen, we'll talk soon. Thank you again so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to be on the show with you, Dr. Perlmutter. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, thanks for joining us again on the program, The Empowering Neurologist. I uh, hope you got some good information again from Dr. Shanahan. Uh, the book is again called Deep Nutrition and uh, talks a lot about why we need to get back to the notion of eating foods that are considered traditional. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. <music>